Good evening. Ukraine's Zelensky addresses Congress as President Biden promises nearly a billion dollars in military aid to Ukraine. Is Russia the Soviet Union of old? We speak with a former Soviet-trained guerrilla fighter from South Africa. And a protest at City Hall hits Eric Adams' austerity budget. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, March 16th, 2021. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky summoned the memory of Pearl Harbor and the September 11th terror attacks today in a video plea to Congress to send more help for his fight against Russia. Lawmakers stood and cheered, and President Joe Biden later announced the U.S. is sending $800 million worth of anti-aircraft missiles, drones, and other weapons. While most of Zelensky's speech was given in his language, the emotional ending came in English. Peace in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you, on those who are strong. Strong doesn't mean weak. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and citizens of the world, for human rights, for freedom, for the right to live decently, and to die when your time comes, and not when it's wanted by someone else, by your neighbor. Today, the Ukrainian people are defending not only Ukraine, we are fighting for the values of Europe and the world. Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, speaking to Congress today. Biden also declared that Russian President Vladimir Putin is a war criminal, his strongest condemnation yet. The day after Senate and unanimously asked for an international investigation of Putin for war crimes in Ukraine. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki elaborated. The president was answering a direct question that was asked and uh, responding to what uh, he has seen on television. We have all seen uh, barbaric acts, horrific acts by a foreign dictator uh, in a country that is threatening and taking the lives of civilians, impacting hospitals, uh, women who are pregnant, journalists, others. And I think he was answering a direct question. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said Biden's comment was unacceptable and unforgivable rhetoric. But House Minority Leader Republican Kevin McCarthy blamed Biden for the problems in Ukraine. He said the U.S. acted too little and too late. But he agreed with Democrats that American troops should stay home. The slowness of moving weaponry to Ukraine to have a determent where Russia would not invade. All of that's been a mistake. The weeks that he has waited now about whether the MiGs could go. How many people have died? Maternity wards have been bombed. You've watched in the video itself. You've watched a leader stand in a capital that's being bombed, not requesting that American men and women go into war. Simply help us provide the weapons that we can defend ourselves. That was House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin said today the Kremlin was ready to discuss neutral status for its neighbor and the incursion was going to plan. Although Moscow is yet to capture any of Ukraine's biggest cities, 
following its invasion that began on February 24th. In related news, Vladimir Zelensky said peace negotiations were becoming more realistic, and Russia's foreign minister said proposals under discussion were close to an agreement. Fighting continues, especially in Ukraine's south, where in the besieged southern port of Maripol, the city council said Russian forces bombed a theater where civilians were sheltering. The number of casualties was not known. Russia's defense ministry denied it had carried out an airstrike against the theater. And in more news of the war, it's the largest conflict in Europe in 80 years. The International Court of Justice ordered Russia today to stop the military actions that started in Ukraine. The judges added Russia must also ensure that other forces under its control or supported by Moscow should not continue the military operation. Indicates the following provisional measures. By 13 votes to two, the Russian Federation shall immediately suspend the military operations that it commenced on 24 February 2022 in the territory of Ukraine. By 13 votes to two, the Russian Federation shall ensure that any military or irregular armed units which may be directed or supported by it, as well as any organizations and persons which may be subject to its control or direction, take no steps in furtherance of the military operations referred to in point one above. Three, unanimously, both parties shall refrain from any action which may aggravate or extend the dispute before the court or make it more difficult to resolve. And the representatives on the court from Russia and China voted against the measure. And the criticism of Russia's behavior in Ukraine hasn't been lost in the community of activists, political leaders and warriors who fought with the training and support of the former Soviet Union in fights from Vietnam to Southern Africa and Central America. Ronnie Casrills is a South African politician and military commander. He was South Africa's intelligence minister and a member of the Central Committee of the African National Congress. He trained as a guerrilla fighter under Soviet auspices at a base in Crimea with thousands of other fighters from around the world. He says today's Russia is not the Soviet Union and the incursion is a crime, but one forced on Russia by the United States. Casual spoke with WBAI from Johannesburg, South Africa. I trained in the Soviet Union and actually I was trained uh, with several hundred others in uh, Odessa in 1964. The South African Liberation Movement, ANC, African National Congress, was not alone in receiving that kind of incredible support, material, training, clothing, food, diplomatic, and so on, when the Western countries were actually aiding and abetting the apartheid regime. We're talking here about the Vietnamese, we're talking here about the Palestinians, about Angolans, Mozambicans, Zimbabweans, Namibians. It's not just the uh, South African liberation movement. And, of course, we're talking uh, about the former um, Soviet Union. And Putin's Russia is not the same. Um, In fact, Putin has uh, condemned Lenin and the Bolsheviks Um, for having recognized the right of nations to self-determination and for helping to create, for the first time in its its history, uh, the Ukraine as an independent state, albeit within the Soviet Union. It's not the same. In terms of 
the invasion, and I call it that, Putin calls it a special military operation. That's what George Orwell was sounding the alarm about back in, you know, decades ago, this double speak that's become so prevalent in the United States and in Britain and the Western world, as as well as Russia today and and other countries. So we have to recognise it for what it is. Whatever the reasons, invasion of another country is a violation of international law and of the law of human rights. One must be categoric about condemning it. And I do so even though the South African government has been neutral in the sense of abstaining from a UN vote, along with another 17 African countries, by the way, as as we know. The issue of what had preceded this invasion by Putin is something that must be taken into account. We can't just ignore the fact that the machinations of the USA and of NATO were pushing Putin's Russia into a situation with the encroachment of NATO and the coup in the Ukraine that they supported the overthrow of an an elected government in, uh, in 2014 was going to lead to this kind of catastrophe. So that is something that I do take into account. Nevertheless, although one can really point a finger at the USA and NATO and the hypocrisy that's taking place, on a tremendous scale internationally. They don't move in relation to the plight of the Palestinian people under bombardment in Gaza over and over again from Israel, etc. Israel's invasions and attacks on neighboring Arab states, the Iraqi war, the Afghanistani war, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, and so on. I mean, it's absolutely unspeakable. But nevertheless, one cannot get away from the fact that the Russians have foregone diplomacy. Uh, We can show that they have attempted for the last eight years, that America has reneged on it and pushed Putin to take this, I would say, catastrophic step. And it's that invasion which I absolutely condemn. Whatever they're claiming about precision bombing just at military targets and at nests where neo-Nazis are, that um, absolutely you're going to find that civilian areas are bombed, that people are killed, that fear is put into the hearts of the whole people. We see the almost three million now, half of which are children, fleeing for their lives, and that humanitarian factor will set against Putin and Russian objectives of feeling that they can win the support of Ukrainian people when they talk about the brotherhood of Russians and Ukrainians. They're sitting there back, and I think that's catastrophic. And that was Ronnie Kasrils, who was uh, joined WBAI from South Africa, 
He's written quite a number of books, A Simple Man in 2017, the story of his wife, who is also a uh, activist with the ANC called The Unlikely Secret Agent, another book, International Brigade Against Apartheid, Secrets of the People's War that Liberated South Africa, his uh, biography, autobiography, Armed and Dangerous, which I've read. It's an excellent book. And his most recent book, Catching Tadpoles, The Shaping of a Young Rebel. Ronnie Casrols from South Africa. In more news, in her latest Washington Post column, Nation editorial director and publisher Katrina Vandenhuvel argues Russia's invasion of Ukraine threatens to drag the United States back into a world of wasting hundreds of billions of dollars on weapons we dare not use. Vandenhuvel has reported from Russia for over three decades. She spoke with WBAI today. I have to say that at this moment, we're looking at two different paths. Uh, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, spoke to the Congress today. He spoke in inspiring, masterful ways, yet what he really sought was more weapons. He wanted a no-fly zone, which involves weapons. He wanted jets from transferred through Poland. But at the same time, he is talking about the possibility of negotiated a negotiated settlement, which will not bring peace, but will bring an end to the bombing, the senseless, international, illegal bombing that Russia has committed against Ukraine. And there is on offer, it is not a peace agreement, but it is an agreement called the Minsk Agreement, which would ensure with international commitment, the independence and sovereignty of Ukraine and moving Russian troops, withdrawing Russian troops, recognition of Ukraine as a neutral country as Sweden, Austria, been, and uh, support, as I said, for an international security agreement to protect the interests of the Ukrainians Ukrainian would keep its forces most likely. This is not peace, but this is a diplomacy. Diplomacy is often defamed in our country, but we have to think about the reconstruction of Ukraine. The Russian oligarchs and the economy should pay for much of it, but there are millions of displaced people in Europe already. In the Middle East, I mean, when do we think often of Syria and the Middle East as part of this you know, endless war we've been living through. So the search for peace, the search for disarmament is critical. And you do have nuclear peril in this conflict. So I think the sooner we can move to a different stance, again, peace is far off, but we got to subdue the militarization of a foreign policy. I'm talking about Russia too, but I'm talking mostly right now about our country. Because we're living in a time of existential climate crisis, of pandemics, of global inequality. And I think we need to think anew. And I say that as someone who has vigorously condemned the uh, breach of international law and aggression by Russia. And I have no um, illusions that uh, Russia or Putin are liberal left-wing people. These are people who are upholding Putin, his team, very conventional, traditional, obsolete ideas, in my mind, of uh, social justice. So there is no brief there, but there is a brief for finding peace as we can. The world is absolutely aghast at Americans' absolute hypocrisy on this. You're a hypocrite if you oppose the Iraq war as the nation I did vigorously, but you don't oppose uh, Russian aggression in Ukraine. I mean, there's a history. We can talk about the history, which doesn't lead one to condone 
uh, the breach of international law, but does lead one to understand perhaps the provocations of these last years that may have contributed. But that, I think, is hypocritical to oppose war and then support a war because of different reasons. And I understand the uh, person you had was, you know, there, there's an anger. He said that this is not the Russia I knew or, I mean, the rush, there's, well. But you know, also the United States' hypocrisy to criticize Russia when, you know, they have everything they course. criticize Russia about is a crime the U.S. has committed in spades. Of course. And by the way, the media, we have learned to see war in these last couple weeks. War, block by block, bombardments, bombing. Now, for most Americans, the, you know, the war is not on our TV screens or visible on our computers. And people have come to think of war as a drone video. So I think the commitment, if we want to have peace, is to end this war between Russia, Ukraine, NATO, the West find a way out through diplomacy and ensure that other wars are given attention so that we begin to understand the brutality, the violence of war and the senselessness of children killed, of women killed, of people killed, of elderly. And the money piece, well, not the money piece, but to reconstruct lives, to help displaced people. I mean, these budgets, these military budgets are insane. Biden and Washington just put up a billion dollars. I'm not saying it, you know, singling out Ukraine, but the but the defense budget, there seems to be a bipartisan militarism in Washington, which is not contributing to even an iota of thinking about what is peace. We think a lot about the costs of peace, but not the costs of war. We should think about the benefits of peace and not be so hard-headed and value this idea that someone's tough and hard-headed. Hard-headed means no new thinking. Nation editorial director and publisher Katrina Vanden Heuvel is author of today's opinion piece, How to Avoid a New Cold War and Focus on What America Really Needs in the Washington Post. And the Federal Reserve today raised interest rates for the first time since 2018 and laid out an aggressive plan to push borrowing costs to restrictive levels next year and a pivot from battling the coronavirus pandemic to countering the economic risk posed by excessive inflation and the war in Ukraine. Fed Chair Jerome Powell made the announcement. Of these goals, the FOMC raised its policy interest rate by one quarter percentage point. The economy is very strong, and against the backdrop of an extremely tight labor market and high inflation, the committee anticipates that ongoing increases in the target range for the federal funds rate will be appropriate. Even with Wednesday's action, inflation is expected to remain above the Fed's 2% target through 2024, and Powell said officials would not shy from raising rates more aggressively if they don't see improvement. And here in New York, after a two-year pandemic-induced hiatus, the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade is coming back to Fifth Avenue on Thursday. And bagpipes as the U.S. and Ireland's national anthem was played as both nations' flags were raised today. In 2020, the parade was canceled just a week before it was scheduled, and as the scope of the pandemic was still unclear, people were still flocking to nightclubs when the decision was made. But by March 22nd, the city was shut down. No parades were held in 2021 until later in the year when city officials allowed the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade to return. Mayor Eric Adams welcomed the parade's return. To all of us to see this parade uh, return, when it's paused, we knew we will be back. 
and watching the march that is going to take place is saying not only to New York City, but the entire country, nothing can stop this country and this city in the spirit of it. You can't kidnap us with COVID. You can't stop us from streets from here when terrorists attacked our center of trade. You cannot stop us. We're resilient. We're strong. This is what America represents, and it represents it in the spirit of the Irish Americans who played a major role in this city. Eric Adams, the parade, which attracts hundreds of thousands of revelers, starts at 11 a.m. with marchers starting up Fifth Avenue at 44th Street, traveling up Fifth to East 79th Street. Meanwhile, though, another group near City Hall met, but with a different agenda in mind. They held a People's State of the City rally to hit what they call Mayor Adams' austerity budget. It is our duty to fight for freedom! It is our duty to win! We're here to respond to Mayor Adams' preliminary budget, which we say is an austerity budget, and that is a fancy way of saying a budget that produces and or eliminates critical economic and social support for poor and working New Yorkers. We need to make sure we let the mayor know that $100 billion should be invested in the things that we need. We need health care. We need our young people to have the services that they deserve. What they're doing to our communities, in my opinion, is attempted murder. We saw what happened in the Bronx with the Bronx Fire, and many of those instances are happening throughout the five boroughs. I get complaints of people having electrical fires because they have the same exact space heaters that the victims in the Bronx had when the fire broke out. It is the landlord's obligation to do right by its tenants and do right by our black and brown folks in our communities. If public safety is top priority for Mayor Adams, then public safety should begin with addressing and providing more housing production and rental assistance. Thank you. Students should feel safe in their schools. They shouldn't feel as if they are prisoners. When students walk into schools, they should be met with healing-centered approach, trauma-informed approach, teachers who are well-equipped and trained to handle these students, students who are going in and out of shelters, students who are suffering from food insecurity, housing insecurities. Why isn't he listening to our children? Why isn't he listening to our families? If our families don't have homes, if our families don't have food, if our families don't have resources and services, how are they supposed to be uplifted in their communities? The people's plan is to end solitary confinement. It is not the state's plan, it's not the, the mayor's plan, it's not the governor's plan. It is the people's plan to end solitary confinement. And that was the People's State of the City rally today near City Hall. The coalition is backing what they call the People's Plan. They say the goal of the People's Plan is to align key racial and social justice organizations in the city around policy campaigns and to better equip the incoming city council with clear policy objectives to be more effective in their first term. And that's some of the news for Wednesday, March 16, 2022. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineers, Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your patience. Appreciate it.